Lee Henson Hasty. I am the Senior Director of Theological Education Funds Development at the Presbyterian Foundation. This is a collaborative partnership with the Committee on Theological Education, um, which serves as a catalyst for meaningful conversations like this one today with um, the Reverend Dr. Jim James Reese, um, who is class of 49 of uh, Pittsburgh Seminary. Uh, among others, um, I guess class of 45, 46 of Knoxville College right. in Knoxville, Tennessee, and um, a honorary retired um, minister, uh, New York City Presbytery. Is that your presbytery? Yes, it is. And um, But he has served all across the country in a variety of ways. Um, we're going to be talking about Christian education as kind of a crossroads for um, his ministry, which is, as you'll hear clearly, fits this show and podcast leading theologically. If, if I can think of someone who's lived their life leading theologically, Jim Reese is at the top, top of the list. As I've shared earlier, if you were on informally, he is uh, literally the voice of God for me. Um, <laughs> did a video of Isaiah Call story, and it just, I don't know, when I, I think about God responding, it's your voice, Jim. And, (laughs) and, uh, but he says his voice, his voice of God is his wife, Viola, who's across the room. And uh, we're glad to have her there too. And uh, thanks for being here, Jim. Thanks for making time. And thanks to your family for helping get this set up um, in Connecticut, where you find your home. Yeah. Well, it happened to be a good day for our daughter's availability. And she really, this is what's one of her errors and that's beautiful. Uh, yeah. it, it, takes that yeah. it takes a team, it takes a village. It takes a village. So, um, uh, uh, just a little bit about Jim, although we're going to paste a, a bio. Um, Eric Chavis, by the way, is saying hello. Um, Jim, um, we're going to paste a, a bio into the chat on the Facebook and on our website, um, for others who can follow later. But let me just say, Jim was there when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. made his famous I Have a Dream speech. And um, that seems like a metaphor for your life and your ministry, because you have helped bring about dreams that are theologically grounded, um, and particularly in the PCUSA in a variety of ways. Um, And even before there was a PCUSA, ordained in 1949, over 71 years of ministry. And just last year, um, I guess, finally stepped down from serving um, uh, in, day, in, in, in weekly ministry, pastoring. He started his service in, in churches in Alabama. He grew up in Harrodsburg, Kentucky, not too far from where I am today, baptized in the AME church. But there were him and 10 others at Knoxville College that got the call to Presbyterian ministry and went to seminary. And I am so grateful that you did because it's made an impact uh, broadly, including within, we're going to hear about the Senate of Catawba, if folks don't know it, where Jim, one of his um, second or third, second calls was with the Senate of Catawba in Christian education. Um, and just uh beautiful ministry. He was the chair of the board at Knoxville College. We could go on. I better stop. The bio is going to be linked in there. (laughs) Jim, I want to ask you, um, call means something to you. Vocation means something to you. What God is up to next. 
and Howard Thurman, who you may have met. I don't know. Um, yes, I did. I was seeing, uh, sophomore year in college. Sophomore year in college. And Katie Cannon, who you told me you met at Barbara oh, yeah. Scotia College, also yeah. asked, um, what is the work your soul must have? Um, you met, you were the commencement speaker for her. I can't believe that. I mean, that's the influence, Jim. Bac baccalaureate speaker. Baccalaureate speaker. From, from, from um, but Howard Thurman said, and he may have even asked you, uh, what is making you, Jim, come alive? Because what we need are people who are coming alive. Um, yesterday and today, what is making you come alive? Well, it's people. It's people. Um, when I see a group, whether it was a baseball, people looking for a baseball team, when I first started in Alabama, or whether it was someone waiting to be ordained, it's people. Right. And, and the opportunity to be a part of their life and to find something in my life that would enable them to do better with their life. Not, not better according to me, but better according to how they feel. Yeah. And let me just illustrate it. I'm going to illustrate it with a baseball team. Okay. When I was in in, in uh, South Alabama, uh, there were a lot of boys, and they persuaded me to create a baseball team. Now, I've never played baseball in my life. I played, you played basketball. Yeah, you were the point guard. I played softball. But there were at least 25 or 30 boys. Every afternoon around 4 o'clock, they would come up to the house and say, Rev, let's go down and practice. So I'd get the, the school truck, put them in the back in the bed, and we'd drive to the, to the baseball field. And one day, the gene supervisor of school, she said to me, Reverend Reese, what would it cost to buy uniforms for all those boys? Right. I said, I have no idea, but I'll find out. I came back and gave her an approximate figure. She gave me a check. I put two of the boys in my car in Wilcox County, Alabama, and we drove to, to Birmingham, Alabama, and bought 36 baseball suits at one time, over, over three different sizes. Now, when these boys in, in, in Wilcox County, where I started my ministry was the 18th poorest county in America. Southern Alabama. Southern Alabama. And, and to see the joy that's in that was on their faces when they put on those uniforms. I mean, there's it, no way to explain it except it was the most wonderful feeling. So I think helping groups to become alive, whether it was a group of young people in the baseball team, or whether it's a session, right? There's a group of people that are sitting down trying to figure out how are we going to get around this particular issue that's demeaning to us as African Americans. It's the it's people that really light me up, <laughs> and I stay with that group as long as they feel that I can be of service and help to it. Well, speaking of people, Alanda Carr, Ellie Johns Kelly, Eric Chavis, Glenn Bell, 
uh, Belinda May Curry. These are people you know. Um, uh, Linda, Lynn Foreman, um, saying hello. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> they, they are all, uh, there are some people that, that certainly um, think you matter. And, um, and, and I'm sure there's, there's stories like that. People and helping them come alive. That's, that feels like almost a definition of what ministry is all about. Well, I, th I think it is, because I think that's the same thing with a session. <laughs> I mean, it, you're the moderator of the session, but that's all. You're just a moderator. You're not, you don't even, well, sometimes you have a vote. Sometimes you would like to have a vote, and sometimes <laughs> you're not going to get a vote. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes they won't, they're not going to let, even let the motion get to a vote. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, but the thing is that you have a, the possibility of helping them make the decision. And, and see, right. that's the biggest thing that I could pass, a, a big thing I'd pass on to ministers if, when I was working with. You are a facilitator, and, mm -hmm. and the more people that you help, the better your ministry is going to be. Right. Kind if of you, like If you think you're going to do it all by yourself, that's exactly what you're going to do. <laughs> you're going to be doing it all by yourself <laughs> right and 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 you'll get tired fast now it sounds like you learned some of that from that professor at knoxville college the religion professor must have have you know? no interesting enough I, my call to ministry came at the end of my my junior year i i'd gone to college with the hope of, of being a physician i majored in chemistry wow wow <laughs> and when I got to seminary, I, I was the only person in three years who had classes, who had had classes in in in, uh, in, in science like that. And later on, there was another person who came there, and they they asked him to go back to school and get subjects that were more appropriate. Now I haven't. Don't ask me what they are. Because <laughs> I didn't get one of them. <laughs> what what subjects are appropriate to start studying ministry? I was there <laughs> with a major in chemistry and a minor in biology. Wow! But I and, but but I never felt outside of anything. Greek Greek is Greek. It doesn't matter what 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 you did in college. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and I, later on, they started having people to study Greek in the summer before they came to seminary. But now mm -hmm. Greek was taught as a, a, one of the subjects when I came started. And that's exactly what it was. Mm -hmm. It was right. Greek. <laughs> well, and so translating that theological education from Pittsburgh Seminary and other places uh, that you received that and your college classes and what have you um, really became central in this call with the Presbyterian Catawba, which a lot of folks will not know, or Senate of Catawba, which I had put those two together. There was a Presbyterian and a Senate, correct? It was. Right. It was, yeah. <clears throat> At one time, and this, this, this was right after the, the church had started, was active in the early 1900s. There were four all-black synods. Wow. By the time that I came from Knoxville and from the seminary, there were two all-black synods. Catawba, 
which had 125 churches. It was on the eastern shores of, of, of North Carolina. Uh, was the largest of the two. The other one was the center of Atlantic, which took the churches at that time in Georgia and, and South Carolina. Uh, I, I spent nine years as a pastor at, uh, at Knoxville. And the Senate of Catawba was looking for a person to head up their Christian education. <clears throat> Senators in those days, each one of the Senators across the country had someone in education, but they also had the ability to pay for that. Catawba did not have the funds to pay for a person in Christian education. So that person would be paid by the Board of Christian Education. And I, the person on the team to, of interviewing for that job was a person from the <coughs> Board of Christian Education. So I started in 1967. Wow, the, that's a big uh, year. <laughs> <laughs> as, a, uh, as, a year, as a year, I started as a center consultant in Christian Education. And it was an interesting time. The second year, the second year of my four years in Catawba, my, the second year, we came out with, quote, a new curriculum. Right. Uh, we, had, we had joined with the Presbyterian, the Church of North America, and the UP Church, and, and the United Presbyterian Church. And one of the things was a new curriculum. It was graded on a two-year basis. Now, one of the things for which I look back with joy, I made, I made a decision that the best persons to teach this new curriculum would be people who taught grade school in those developmental ages. Yeah. Yes. So so what we did, I found two persons in each one of the grade levels who like a person who taught first grade or a person who taught second grade. And when we went to the introductory th uh, service, which for us in Catawba was at uh, in Washington, D.C. at the 4-H Center, I had identified a person who, who taught first and, and our second grade as the best person to help teachers learn how to teach second graders, so how to teach third graders. And if there's, as I look back, if there's anything that I really feel good about and joyful about is that we were able to do that new curriculum because when a teacher who taught second grade said to a person, now this is the way a second grader learns, then they were doing it out of the both training and experience. Right. So we, I look back with, with great joy at how we introduced that curriculum 
because there is no one better to teach you how to teach second graders than someone who's taught second grade. Than a, than a second grade teacher. And I'm yeah. sure it made them come alive, those teachers. Oh, oh, oh it did, it did. It, and that that speaks to to your whole ministry. Um, what you know, you also folks. He took a sabbatical, but during his sabbatical, he taught homiletics uh, in Kenya, um, which is amazing. Um, and during this time in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and 90s, and into 2000, when you're in ministry, there has been so much that changed. When we started talking about Christian education, why do you think Christian education is central? has been central to your ministry. And I, uh, looking at the Bible behind you, it all starts with the Bible, I know you're going to say. <laughs> but it does, but I, I, I'm going to say it was providential. Because at the end of my first year in seminary, I stayed on in Pittsburgh and started working on a master's in religious education. Providentially, that was what helped me 10 years later when I was in Catawba. Right. And, but the other thing was, I have, I have a real joy in learning. I have a real joy in knowing. Mm -hmm. And I felt if it's written somewhere, I ought to know it because it's written somewhere and therefore I, I, I ought to find it. And I, I read a lot. Mm -hmm. I read a lot. I still read a lot. That's wonderful. I still believe that one of the sources of being able to be of support to other people is how can you help them when they get to a, an impasse in what they're doing. Right. And you've got to be educated. <laughs> right. You've got to learn. You gotta read. What what do you read? What have you read lately? Anything you're reading lately that you like? Well, I, I I read I read a lot on, on Lincoln. Uh, um, my daughter gave me for Christmas uh, a, a, a relationship between John Brown and Abraham Lincoln. Wow, which is 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 fascinating. Well, because, and, because if there's anybody who started out totally different, it was John Brown and Abraham Lincoln. Right now, Lincoln wasn't his. Was he born in Harrodsburg, Kentucky? Is that right? No, no, no. The, the marriage temple. I see. Where, where he and his his father and mother were married is in the Fort Howard in Kentucky. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, what is your your advice to others? I know with that master's degree, you told me you you started that program because you got funding from the state of Kentucky at the time. Uh, in, I, I'm guessing it's embrace opportunities to learn and whatever that may be is something you would encourage people of faith to do. Well, I, I was, I would think as much knowledge as you can get will not hurt you. <laughs> right. And, 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 and see many people see you stand up in front of them and they expect you to know more about what you're about to say than they do, and and it's tragic if you don't know more than about what you're about to teach than the people that you're teaching. So I think that's one 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 of the pieces, <clears throat> and 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 find innovative ways to fund your education. For example, we were trying 
after I'd been at Knoxville for six years, I, I felt I would like to know more about the United Presbyterian Church in Scotland. So I wrote to the board of uh, ecumenical services. The woman happened to be a woman named Margaret Shannon and said, I'd like to exchange pastors with a pastor in Scotland. She wrote back and said, Jim, you don't want to go to Scotland. You want to go to Kenya. <laughs> I wrote back to her and said, no. <laughs> no. I want to go to Scotland. She wrote back and said, no, Jim, you didn't want to go to Kenya. <laughs> so we, we, had, like, we had that dialogue for a year and a half. That, that's I the her, I would write to her and say, I would help me get to Scotland. She would write back and say, I'm going to help you get to Kenya. Well, finally, I, I, I probably thought a little bit, maybe God was in this. I wasn't sure, but okay. So what we did, Neola taught summer school one year. I had put aside all the money that I got from speaking engagements, like commencements or baccalaureates or whatever. And now with we had money enough to go to Scotland, but I wasn't going to Scotland. <laughs> we had enough money to go to Kenya. So we went to Kenya and I taught in the theological seminary in Kenya. I, but we we had made provision financially and emotionally because it, it was a total for life. The uh, seminary in Kenya had not had an African American. Wow. Uh, on the staff. The, in fact, there was only one African. The rest of the persons were people from Scotland. Wow. And I still remember going to a leper colony. And, and people said, and I was saying I was an American. And they said, no, you're not an American. You don't look like an American. Well, I didn't look like Americans that they had seen. Right. <laughs> I was an American. So, so I'm, I'm saying this, that one of the things I think that's helpful is if you have a desire to do something, then you begin to identify what are the sources that can help you get the money and the time available. Right. I, I'd saved up part of my content. Uh, every, every pastor has in his or her call at least some big time for continuing education. Right. So I saved up part of it for that. I mean, I didn't go maybe for two years. So now I've got, in the third year, I got six weeks. Right. So th that was the other thing. And and that was very helpful to me. I'm sure it was transformative for you and for them. And I can already tell, I mean, how that made a, a big difference. And and also the, you named her, but the ecumenical officer who you discern that learning opportunity with someone else. It's not something just that you designed, but right, yeah, yeah. but you wrote that first letter and got that conversation going. And I think that's so important, you know, to say there's, there was something about you that you wanted to learn something from outside of your own experience. Well, I, I, I think that growing up in, I mean, going to a Presbyterian seminary, which I, I grew up in African Methodist, 
Therefore, I'm, I'm in, a, in a new denomination. And but a denomination that has had a lot of influence in America. Right. So right. going to Scotland to me would have been a, a big help in understanding and knowing what was the happening in the Scottish Presbyterian Church, the, out of which the United Presbyterian Church was one one of the denominations here in the USA. Right. right. So, but 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 the bigger thing was how well does it expand you? There is no great education unless that education also expands you as a student. Right. And, and I, I think, no, I don't think so. I know it's true. But one of the things I always looked for as I was working and growing up, how much more can I learn about what I know? Mm. And it, it made me a good student. How, that's a great question. How much more? There's a humility in that. How yeah. much more can I know about what I think I already know about? I mean, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's probably why, you know, we have the, the lectionary. I don't know if you were a lectionary preacher, but, you know. You, yeah, you I was a lectionary out, preacher. You come around to that same text every three years, and you've been <laughs> in that cycle for, uh, I'm not going to say how many times, um, but dozens um, of times. But it says something new in each time, and you probably learn something new about each text, uh, the, sec the second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth time you come around it. Well, the one thing, don't think people have remembered, because when I was at Knoxville, <laughs> after, I mean, I, I, I recycled a, a whole series. And the only person who knew that I had recycled it was my wife. Right. Nobody in the congregation. But, but now everybody knows because it's on the internet, Jim. <laughs> I know it is, but that's okay. <laughs> they didn't take up an offering based on what I repeated. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why you got the nine that nine dollars sermon. No, that was a one shot. Okay. <laughs> well, we're getting close to the end of our time. And um, I see there was a shout out also from Carolyn Cranston, your fan at, at, at Pittsburgh Seminary and where you were distinguished, named as a distinguished alum. Um, Carolyn is, is such a gift to the church and to the seminary and theological education. Um, you have been a gift on peacemaking committees, President Historical Society, the National Presbyterian Black Caucus, um, the awards, uh, the Elder G. Hawkins Award, the Lucy Craft Laney uh, Award um, the, from the Black Presbyterian Women's Association, the Maggie Coon Award from Presbyterian Senior Services. It's just uh, so many accolades. Um, but I wonder... Um, I'm going to ask you in a minute to give us a charge and a benediction and maybe a little sermon. You know, what is it that you would like to say to the church today and to church leaders? What do you charge them um, to do and, and how can you bless them um, in, in doing that? And as you're thinking about that, let me just say, friends, uh, next week we'll have Christine Hong, uh, who is um, at Columbia Seminary, talking about decolonializing uh, learning in the church. We'll be going to stick to this theme of Christian education. And two weeks after that, Terry uh, McDowell Ott uh, will be with us also. So uh, please plan to join us. 
um, in March. It's got a great series. And please plan to join later this week, Next Church, uh, for their national gathering, which is free online. You do have to register, but please join them because many of my guests over the last few months um, are going to be on um, speakers for Next Church. Bertram Johnson from the New York City area, Jim, you may know, and Landon Whitsett and, um, and others. So um, please join us. But if you would please charge us and bless us, Jim, as we, um, as we go on our way. Well, first of all, I want to thank all of my friends who turned in to listen to this and to thank them for their support in this journey. Because no, no one can make this journey by himself or herself and having your friends to help you during that time. There, there were so many, many, many persons in Pittsburgh. I, I'm going to give one illustration that uh, <clears throat> when I was a student at Pittsburgh, I was the only African-American student in the, the three years that I was there. And my second and third year, I was the librarian on, on, on night duty. And one day, a student, one evening, one of the fellow students came and he stood at the door and he looked in and he said, you know, when I see you sitting there, I don't see Jim Reese colored student. I see Jim Reese student. And my answer, I think it was pretty good. <laughs> I said one, I said, I I don't want you to not see me as Jim Reese colored student. I don't want you to have a fixed opinion negatively because I'm quote colored student because I am a colored student. I would like for you to treat me as you are treating me as a person who has an opportunity, not because of color, but because we're fellow persons in Jesus Christ. Amen. And, and I, I would like to say that, that yes, this denomination, and, I, and I've seen it try to grow to racial ethnic depths. And I remember when we started out saying that by the year 2020, we would have at least 20% of the Presbyterians would be people from other races than Caucasian. We're a long way from it. Right. We're 9%. But I think the great thing is that people inside the church can treat each other as God would treat each other without regard to the race. But enjoy knowing that racial groups have gifts to bring to the church. And when I was working for the foundation in my last 10 or 12 years, that was one of my real joys, was to bring to the whole church the gifts that other racial groups had to give to the church. And those gifts are many, Amen. they're continuous, and they will be ongoing even after this conversation today. So if I had a word to charge us, I would say, look forward to having relationships across racial lines because God has made all of us 
And God has given all of us an opportunity. And now, to that same God who gave us his son, Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. we commit ourselves to him. Thankful for his gifts to us and for that Holy Spirit that guides us and directs us all the time of our life. This is the gift of God to each of us. And this is what we can pass on to all the people that we know. Thank you for listening to me today. And if you pay me more than $9, <laughs> I'll come and speak to you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, I will do that. And amen and hallelujah to your words, Jim. And let me just say, all on this line today and all who hear this, I think are going to be uh, receive a blessing from uh, if they weren't already your friend, I think they will be now. Well, thank um, you. And what a gift it is to be able to have relationships with people like you. And um, uh, thank you for the many, many, many gifts and blessings you have bestowed on your family, on the church and churches and organizations you've been a part of, including at the Presbyterian Foundation. And what a blessing, I'll just say personally, you have been to me. Um, and I uh, continue to be, and I look forward. I'll, I'll, I'll come up with more than, than nine dollars. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, let's, stay, let's stay in touch. Peace, okay, to you, you and to all um, of you today. Um, we'll look forward to seeing you again soon. Okay, look forward to it.